This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know everybody and welcome back to another special episode of the only friends podcast well you know i'm here with tortua we're here he we're really here, changed his intro of only pause for a dramatic amount of time friends to adding tortua to every bit that's fine well, I, I, I actually appreciated that one more. Yeah. Uh, I like the hype. The fact that he was throwing up literally a minute before we <laughs> it's got amazing. on air. It's amazing. It, like, like, literally, like, like two minutes ago, he was like, the, I'm like, are you going to be able to do the pod? And then, boom. You know, the, just the, flips the, the switch, cameras you know? go on, the mics go on, and he's just on. What it really was. True professional. We, we were talking about his salary and how he doesn't actually deserve it. Yeah, well, no, yeah. time out, time out. He thought that might get pulled. So right, he's like, yeah. I got to do something. Yeah. I did not think that. I, what I did think is... We got to talk about this, guys. You guys are underpaying me for this intro. Hmm. This intro is, this is top notch, like, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Like, you guys think you guys have a chance, we have a chance at winning an award if it wasn't for this intro coming in? Um, a chance? Cons well, considering <laughs> that we got nominated before the intro started. That, that is also true. I would uh, say yes, we do have we, a chance. Did we get nominated? I don't we think did. so. Uh, I, I, I have to timeline. tell you, I, I, I miss so, introducing the show. I enjoyed it a lot while you were gone. Uh, I think that, you know, a nice slow burn into the hype you know what's up everybody welcome I, back I, I get text messages every you know, single time i'm not here man yeah because the only time you talk during the whole fucking show they say yo you get, you get five seconds at the beginning and that's it we need the intro <laughs> listen i pop my shit man i really wonder who we is but it's not that's for a different time <laughs> that is for a different time this is the people the the we thing the that people, i find everybody but you the thing that i find so union. uh so off-putting i guess about how conrad communicates is he texts the group this morning and goes i feel like <laughs> shit i'm throwing up like all this stuff where it's like clear that he's sick and it's like all right man well you know signs of sickness take take a day you know feel take better a day off, take mate. a day yeah, off take a day mate. off mate feel better you know <laughs> let's let's move forward and then like as Lane and i are getting ready to leave he's in the kitchen uh, looking like literal death had just come down and touched him in the forehead yeah that's never changed though. Said, you know today is not your day bro and i'm like you look awful he's like i just threw up i'm like okay like so get the fuck away from me he's like i'm not contagious i'm like what are you a doctor like how do you know he goes i i'm hung over it's like, well, where, what point were you going to tell us that you just got drunk? Well, he <laughs> said he it in the chat. He didn't say, no, he didn't even say it that, 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 like, he wasn't even that frank about it, right? He goes, he goes, you wouldn't understand. I put substances in my body that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny because, like, like, I don't drink that much normally. I had two drinks yesterday. And, like, I just. Enough. Yeah. Two drinks on an empty stomach? Yeah, that, that was the problem, actually. It's the empty stomach part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just all, you know, a little out of it. But we're here. We're here. We're here. I feel, feel a little bit better if I have to run off. I got to run off. You know, it is what it is, man. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> hearing, hearing him retch is one of the most off-putting sounds I've ever heard in my entire wow, life. You, the whole, and now our community is going to hear it. It's not quiet. Like, you guys will absolutely get some background noise of a man dying in the bathroom. <laughs> you do the same thing, though, when you brush no, your teeth. No, I don't. I cough. I, I, I literally cough. 
Thank you, Landon. Landon, thank you I know, very I've lived with fucking him too. I know much. How, this yeah. guy's out of his yeah. fucking mind. He Delusional Berkey is back. He gags himself with the fucking uh, with the First toothbrush. First of all, how dare you? I do not have a gag reflex, yes. okay? Delusional yes, Berkey. Second, <laughs> Second of all, uh, I, I do absolutely brush the back of my tongue. It's very important for, for fresh breath. And yeah. I do cough. I give it a <coughs> kind of thing where to the point where Tyler and Andy were convinced that I had a uh, long-standing whooping cough yeah. for the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. But you do have a whoop, but not a whooping cough. Correct. But I is. do not do what Conrad You do does. the same exact fucking sound. Like it's so. I'm, go- I'm going to record it one of these days. I'm going to record both of us. That's fine. Why that, that's Nobody, that does not fine. need to be recorded. No, it really does. Into the books of history. We don't need this shit. Wretching <laughs> is the only this way needs to, to be describe it. Like, away somewhere. Yeah, he's been fucking talking about this for like a year now. It's the like, truest definition of the word wretching. Like, mm-hmm. if ever you want to hear okay. the sound Perfect. of what the definition Record of wretching it, is, put it in the Library of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I was thinking about like leaving your mark on the world and the dents of the universe? This is the dent of the universe of Conrad. It's yeah. just the wretching and vomiting. In the it's, it's, it's the sound of wretching and the sound of laughing. After just echoing through the halls, <laughs> this, is, this is what he's contributed. Some have things you, have will you never guys go not away. heard of uh, tongue scrapers? Why aren't you guys using these? Yeah, I oh, because they, they like sell, the feeling of vomit. Heard of tongue scrapers? I mean, I know I, in a yeah, doctor's they sell, office. Like, these really sure. nice copper. That's tongue a tongue scrapers. depressor. It's, yeah. Mm. Again. No, it's an actual tongue scraper. That's what they put dilly he's bars thinking, on. Right, he's thinking of a tongue depressor. That's what they put dilly bars Not on. a tongue scraper. It's literally meant to brush your, brush your tongue. Yeah. Okay, okay, I stick that down my throat too? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it prevents the sounds of yes, the right. dementors the, it, yes. the truth dementors. of the matter is i don't have to cough uh i choose to cough because it's it's it feels better like holding holding back you know uh, I think not great I think there's a, a joke there but i'm not gonna go for it <laughs> i'm opening myself up i literally just said i don't have a, <laughs> a gag just stop. reflex <laughs> let's move on yo my man chalk in the chat <laughs> today's about to turn into a pickleball Oh, conversation man. we were going to talk poker but now the chalk's here we're uh we're just going to talk straight pickleball strats so. all right well, that's, that's perfect because what did chalk re- recently write to me berkey sucks at pickleball <laughs> <laughs> i fucking buried him the other day i'll have you know i, I gotta find this um, word for word but then i did play with him and we were we were not good we were not good that's that's my tournament partner uh we are probably four o's and can't win at three o. So you know we're we're a good marriage. Calling yourself a four o now, huh? Yeah, this is cute. I said we're probably four o's and can't win at three o. So you do the math. Three five. Can't win there either. One five. <laughs> <laughs> probably four can't five. Win five. there either. Uh, Lamanna bagged some chips. I did. What does that mean for tomorrow's pod? You're not here. No, probably podcast. not going to be here. No, because hmm. I won't be here either. Also, why? Oh, huh? Why? You think he's the only motherfucker bag in the 600? Yeah. Mm. You're out of your goddamn mind. Because it's me and Tortue. All right, so. uh, (laughs) Yeah, we got some chips. We got to go early. Who's we? Wait, you bag too? No, we as in like me and. Playing today. You know, the universe. Uh, The universe, the powers that be are going to have Conrad bag this tournament. All the tortoises around the world. (laughs) Shout out to the Galapagos Islands. (laughs) You and the Galapagos show up at the win 600. It was a. yeah, good event. Um, they <laughs> good got, event. It, was, it was. No, they got 300 people AKA yesterday. AKA Aces Held. <laughs> aces Held. When Aces hold and you get them multiple times, and then like other bad things don't happen to you, you bag a lot of chips. Other bad things don't happen. <laughs> 
Well, you know, because it's like, I, it's funny because I, I don't even think I was in a, like a race situation the entire day. That's um, a nice life. <laughs> yeah, no, that's because right. you you're not very fast. That's true. No, I mean, I, I was... Like I got it in a few times where I was a 70-30 favorite and I won, like it was like three times. That's how much equity he needs to be spotted in a race. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's so, a tortoise flip. Obviously, no, you know, things obviously went well. But like I was thinking that like the, the more you play, the more, the more you study and get better, like when you do run good, you can capitalize on that like so much better. Yeah. Like it's like... Yeah, because like I know like if this was a year ago or two years ago and I had the same card distribution, I wouldn't have ended with the same. You would have folded aces. I no, but I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have used the stack to my advantage. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have opened tighter. I wouldn't have bluffed in certain spots. I wouldn't have played certain boards certain ways. So like, all yeah. those things help. So it's like, yes, you do need to get fortunate to to run up a big stack. You do need to be fortunate to win. Uh, tournaments, but the the better you are, the more you study, um, the better you play your hands. You you give yourself a better opportunity when these. Uh, Yo, he put this all for Y logo. Yeah, that is so That's dope. amazing. What? How did you do that? that when did so you do awesome. this? Also, you're the best. Photoshop. Use Photoshop. That was the coolest yeah. thing ever. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh There's my God. There's a watermark on it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about that. Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, "Yeah, I played with uh, um, Brian." Well, I, I played with the tortoise all day, and you know we played a hand, and he got me. And I was like, he had aces. He's like, yeah, I had kings. <laughs> Wait, what was this? It was just a different tournament. It oh, wasn't this same. one. Yeah, yeah it was, no, it yeah. wasn't this one. And I just looked at yeah. him. I was like, you watch the podcast every day, right? You know he has aces, right? <laughs> I ran a few bluffs yesterday. <laughs> you mean you slowly walked a few bluffs? I did. I mean, that's the thing, though, when it comes to getting better and trying to implement new strategy is there's going to naturally be growing pains that come along with that, mm -hmm. where you might go for it too hard in a spot or not go for it hard enough in a spot or try to use something that you think works in one spot but doesn't work in another. But that's just part of the game and getting better. Yeah, and like, never, you're never going to be perfect. I, I definitely missed a few bluff spots. And like after like I, I, didn't, I didn't pull the trigger, and I'm like, ah, that's like <laughs> definitely a bluff there. Like... Come on. But like, that's, you know, you're not going to play perfect. Yeah. You're never going to play perfect. But it's, like, there were other spots where I did pull the trigger and it worked and it was like, oh, it feels so good. You know, he's like, I have nine high and I just winning this massive pot. Did yeah. you flip it over like and say nine high Hell like no. a boss? I got to keep, I have an image to keep up. I, <laughs> I hate the nine high like a boss thing. I hate uh, the, like, where it came from. <laughs> yeah. The source. All yeah. things Kasuf related, like get under my skin for sure. He's a nice guy. I've actually like met him and played with him. He's like completely reasonable human. Just Is it like, really? Yeah. Just uh, those those types of antics at the table just drain me. Yeah. It, the, it, it's like it's like being an introvert getting thrown into a massive social situation where you feel like the utmost pressure to perform in some sort of way, mm -hmm. uh, and it just sucks the fucking life out of you because you, you can't turn it off. There's nothing you can do to make it stop so like the gameplay crawls to a halt while he goes through all this speech play bullshit and you're you're forced to just be subjected to it it's like please I was, please I, it's not doing anything to me at least like <laughs> make it stop i never played with him before but um over i played a sit and go with him like right after that that's on, you definitely sat it, it was the very first very first thing that poker go ever did oh. uh, oh, I remember it, was that. A, it was they rebooted poker after dark as a six hand of sit and go happened to ship it just you know, no big deal. Me and Nikki, Nikki Shulman got heads up. Was it up. you and Nick, right? Yeah, 
That was the last time Matt Berkey won on live stream. Only fucking tournament I ever won in my life. Six max sit and go with Madison and Kasuf. JRB, David Williams, me, and Shulman. Would have never guessed Shulman and I would get heads up. Oh, man. Um, What was I about to say? Oh, so the only Kasuf story I have is like I was playing this summer, I believe it was. And he was at the table over to me. I just hear some guy going off and just like nonstop talking. And usually I'm pretty loud, so I'm like normally whatever. And yeah, I feel like he was got like to a, something like this lady got into a little argument or something. I looked over and I was like, my God, he hasn't shut the fuck up for like at least an hour and a half. <laughs> it's just like ongoing. Uh, yeah, it's play, uh, I guess it's 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 tough. <laughs> it's just it's very <laughs> exhausting. I guess this is probably a good time to remind everybody, if you want to be like the tortoise and bag piles of chips yourself, mm -hmm. we have an MTT Academy coming up. April, nope, that's a lie. That's the Poker Out Loud Academy. We'll right. get to that one next. Uh, the MTT Academy is May 24th to the 27th. little warm-up before the WSOP. This will be instructed mostly by Matt Hunt, as well, he is our tournament guru. I think that, that got changed today, didn't it? To what? The tortoise? Oh, Lamanna's leading it? Yeah, I'm, Lamanna's I'm, leading mm -hmm. the instructor now. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Matt Hunt's my sidekick. Sure. <laughs> uh, let him do all the grunt work. So if you guys are interested in that, head to academy.solferwide.io or hit hashtag academy uh, in the chat. It'll take you to the link. Uh, click the banner up top. That's for the MTT one. We also have a Poker Out Loud Academy in April. This will be our final Poker Out Loud Academy of the year. Uh, we're going to switch back to the old format for the second half of the year. Plan will be to run one or two of these a year for re, uh, re-attending members, people who've gone through the, the normal version first. That's April 15th to the 18th. So if you want your shot at uh, playing Poker Out Loud effectively and going through four days of instruction, that will be uh, the ticket for you to buy. So head to academy.selfwide.io if you want to check that out. Yeah, speaking of academies, uh, shout out to uh, Jesus uh, Maldonado. He, um, former academy member, bagged also. Wow. In this fan of the pod, said he listens every day. Uh, Nick Seward, who does some work for us, he's also in there. He's at my table tomorrow. That'll be fun. So, you know, we got some Sulfur Y people in the mix here. In the fucking mix, let's, let's baby. Let's go. Let's make it an all Sulfur Y final table. Wow. Sulfur Y and Sulfur Y, Jason. Yes. <laughs> God. All right. Let's do it then. Like, I, I'm, you know, you say that and I just like, have a hard time rooting for Conrad because, I, I, you know what? Fine. I, I don't want you to root for no, me. No, no, no. Do you realize if you don't root for me, <laughs> I'm going to make every dollar. Everybody that you root against this wins. Why does he get so loud? <laughs> it's just his personality. Like, it is, man. Every time someone tries to even talk to this man, it's just sh sheer screaming. Well, stop talking to me then. Uh, Lynn, Lynn, and I are, Lynn and I are long overdue for, for just a, a twosome podcast. Yeah, Thursday. I think so. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Looks yeah. like it's just going to be us, man. And you I and me. I won't be here Friday, yeah. So. You and me in the cage. Another strat chat, huh? Wow, there's a bunch of strat <laughs> chats no, strat this chats week. today. Like tomorrow, tomorrow will be TB, TBT. We'll, we'll do throw a back throwback. Day? Yeah. Uh, TBD. We'll, we'll throw it back. Speaking was, of to be determined, man. It's, it's doing okay. Yeah. Thank you guys for uh, watching, liking, sharing, because it's uh, staying in the algorithm. It is. It's been averaging 500 views per hour for yeah. like the last five days consistently. That's great. That means people are watching it. They're liking it. It's I've, being I've suggested. Heard great, I, yeah. I've heard great feedback from it. So. Yeah. Really appreciate everybody out there. Uh, I hope tells. Oscar... 
you, you know, I, I shout out to Oscar. Nobody really under nobody really knows any follow up with Oscar, uh, mainly because he just wants to stay private. Um, and I hope that he sees it posted on the YouTube and sees all the like warm comments that are there for him. There's a couple of negative ones, but like you know, whatever people are going to talk shit. There's going to be, yeah. but in general, like it's a lot of support for him. It's a lot of people commiserating with him and relating to him. Uh, I hope he sees that feedback because you know we wanted to do a follow up with Oscar. We wanted to have him on the pod. He's just I'm like so glad that you just showed Berkey getting fucking rocket rocked <laughs> right there. That was a good pitch, Berkey. Just gotta get it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good pitch right down the fucking dick. Wow, the amount of you look so sad. <laughs> well, giving up home runs is no fun, man. I know. You're... Especially to your rival on a minor league field. Mm. Um, Why are you going to do him like that, bro? Gee, damn. Not him. It's pigtails. They put me in the fucking movie like that. Mm -hmm. Gotta, but of all the clips we're going to the show, it's that one. Good timing. Good timing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope that he sees all that feedback uh, so that maybe we could do a proper follow-up at some point. Um, but for anybody who's interested, like... I'm pretty sure he's just like still grinding, playing underground games, uh, still lives in New York City, just, you know, doing his thing, mm -hmm. getting by. I think he's probably still very much on the risk averse side of things, very much uh, not super interested in game theory. Uh, and, you know, we can kind of talk about that a little bit today as we get into uh, the, the topic of discussion, the bigger topic of discussion, which is the notion of being a field player understanding like where you can actually execute with clairvoyance uh or the ability to know your opponent's whole cards or uh, most likely holdings um but prior to that there was a little bit of a funny incident that happened yesterday or i guess this was two days ago because it was the um circuit main event at planet hollywood uh, one francis anderson Went on break as the uh, chip leader. This is a color break, so he took a picture of his stack. I recommend everybody does this. Always. It's very, very important. Too often, chips go missing. It's also a humble brag that you're the guy that's collecting all the chips. That's also true. Uh, so he comes back, and he notices that he's short 25,000 chips. And uh, he has a photo of his stack, so he takes it to the staff, demonstrates that he's clearly short. And they said, okay, we'll go back and check the tape. Now, it's kind of shitty for him because now he has to play down 25k while they check the tapes and that's not a fast process right he was at my table actually yesterday okay and he was he was talking about this yeah he said that like he said i don't know how long it took him maybe an about 40 hour? minutes he yeah said. 40 minutes and or 25 minutes sorry. he's just like man like what happens if i double up right here you know or something like that now i'm just out 25,000 well, chips it's a very interesting thing because strategically if you're correct which i'm sure he is because he knows how to count chips mm-hmm what happens if you bust yeah. because you have 25k chips less and you play your stack differently? Yeah, right? or like exactly. his point was like, what yes. if I get into a big pot with somebody who right. has me covered? Right, that's what he said too, yeah. And then he, wait, he busts and then he's like, wait, I'm going to sit here and wait for my 25k chip. Yeah. <laughs> right. What happens at that point? He well, he, he was talking more so like uh, if he doubles up or whatever, but... Yeah, but think about it in the inverse. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Right. Uh, you, you could definitely bust too. Um... So anyway, they go to the tapes and they see what happens. And apparently somebody on break walked up to the table and just asked the dealer, like, you know, what are they playing here? Uh, which did the dealer not answer? Because 
everything that happens thereafter right. would in- indicate that the dealer just like did not acknowledge what was going on. But the guy took a 25k chip after you know getting a response, or while <laughs> a while no he cash was value right while he chip. was prompting the dealer to uh, speak to him, and uh, later came back to the casino and tried to cash in at the cage, <laughs> thinking it was worth 25k. I mean, this guy obviously has like never played, doesn't know anything about poker. No, of course. Right? Yo, where, yeah. where was the where was the tournament being held? Was it like on the gaming floor? Or it, something? it was right there. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was like so. Um, I don't. You probably haven't been to the Horseshoe since the new. Um, no. Yeah, so like they, so like there's the they open up a new poker room. It's called the Hall of Fame Poker Room, and then outside of the poker room, they set up all the tables, similar to uh, how the wind does it. Okay, right? it's, it's right so, there at the, the entrance mm-hmm. of the yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But yeah I know what you're talking just, about. There's just a, there's just a, you know, there's, they put up a, a rope or a rail, and um, I mean, it's very easy for someone to just like walk through and you know anybody sure. from the floor. Yeah, yeah. Not on the floor. It's, it, it's like here's the tables, and then there's the hallway, and then. Uh, and then what do we got to do to get Bally's to become a non-smoking or not Bally's, I guess now horseshoe, but to become a non-smoking casino because, or at least, uh, that area that you have to pass through going from Barry Paris to, to horseshoe. Yeah. Yeah, It is kind of, it was so brutal during the summer. And if like they're playing where you're describing, Mm -hmm. I understand why everybody was saying it's smoking. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but I mean, it's, it's not like, so if you're on the side toward the, the the cashier, if you're in any of those, it's horrible because they have the keynote oh, okay. and the stuff like that oh, over yeah, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you can smoke right there. Okay, where so, I was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I was yeah. talking to the cashier as this was like fucking this absolute stinks, re- mm-hmm. reeks of smoke right there, and I'm just like, how are you doing this? Yeah, and this he's like, I can't stand this shit. Yeah, I, like, I it's don't bad. I don't really know if there's anything they can't. I mean, they could just not make it non-smoking, but they're just not gonna do. That. Yeah. It's just like and it's just like a not not. Well, a thing I mean, most most casinos have rectified this. No, in, they have. Yeah, God, yeah. There, there's the, the only casino. It's in kind Vegas, of like the opposite, where the, it's now like the only casino in Vegas that's non-smoking is Park MGM. No, yeah, fully non-smoking. But most casinos now are like sanctioned off, or sectioned off rather to being smoking and non-smoking. I mean, even no, it isn't because even so. at, like at no. the wind, you can smoke anywhere. No, like you go really. You, yeah, it's funny because if you go to uh, you feel like you're at Red Rock. It's all smoking, and then like if you want to play like there's, they they set aside like four like video poker machines that are it says non smoking <laughs> at the top of it, so you can't smoke when you're sitting at that exact machine. Like they rectif- it means nothing. Yeah, yeah they rectified it right. like the slot set um, yeah. way because like there's some like, smoking area, non smoking area. It kind of like, depends, right? Because you like the wind is not non smoking, but it's not smoky there because not too many people that who are there are smoking, right? So like, I imagine I, then it's just like their ability to. Have better ventilation. Better ventilation. Yeah. It's super low ceiling. That's what the that's the other right? thing I was gonna say. Yeah. Wind has super high ceilings. Right. Exactly. And like, yeah. They have way better ventilation. Way better higher ceilings. But like, yeah. Because yeah, the aria is not smoky. The Venetian's mm-hmm. not smoky. Right. The wind's not smoky. Yeah, yeah. Bellagio's not right. smoky. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I was pretty sure that like they had separate. Yeah, sections. Horseshoe has one of the one of the uh, like the, the shortest ceilings. And, and, and this, the thing about the lowest. smoke, man, it's literally right there. Like, there's a bunch of people just smoking cigarettes, right, in the keynote. I also think there's more people, yeah, like, uh, more people smoke at Horseshoe uh, than do, like, at Wynn. It just seems uh, like I, I just see more people smoking. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I I wish they would um, figure something out, though. I mean, it kind of sucked. Yeah, it, it is. It is shitty. crazy. It's 2023, and it's it, like. Well, it's also the, pretty shitty too. Like, if somebody how, could, how does this, 
no offense, smokers out there, but how do you have the power over? Like, well, it should yeah. be, you know, it well, should be not non gambling. Then, yeah, nah, but th that's dumb. Like, Vegas has changed so much with those regards. Like, it doesn't offer the free perks the way that it used to. It, but it, like, you have to kind of jump through hoops to get free drinks, even at this point. Yeah. Like, that whole notion of I want to keep gamblers happy and allow them all these. It, is it really that big of a deal if you're talking about maybe 10 or 15% of your clientele? Yeah. Like they're obviously in the, like to see, in the vast minority. Because Park MGM, I you know mean, what it is. I would, I no, I know what it is. What is it? It's that the high rollers that come in are mostly coming from China I because know. you're not allowed to gamble there, and the smoking culture there is like you yeah. know way, way, way mm -hmm. uh, more right. more prominent than I, it is I, here. I would like to. I mean, we obviously would never be able to figure this out, but I would push back that more gamblers smoke than don't smoke. Like, I, I mean, I would, happily just, I would just happily bet that. Slot machines and stuff like that. There's just no way you're going to find any. Uh, I don't think you could find any subset of uh, like you couldn't really filter for for any generic thing and find a concentration of more smokers than not. I don't think. Yeah, people belong to cigar oh, clubs. Okay, fine. But, <laughs> but like I'm saying, you couldn't say like more men smoke than women, or, or sorry, more men smoke no, I, I than it. don't I know, smoke, right? Yeah. Like it, it's. You're, you're just not go. It's not a common practice anymore. It's not something that you're going to find the majority of a group uh, or any subset doing. Like, yes, gamblers smoke more than non-gamblers, almost certainly. But the majority of gamblers smoking is like, that's out of pocket. It just has to be. I, you know, I'm just saying more, like, more than, yeah. Yeah, maybe more not, than non-gamblers for sure. But it's definitely, it's definitely not going to be the majority. Closer. Um, Talking about um, wild situations, though. Let's talk about my um my little discourse the other day at fucking the Venetian. So Ralph Massey was saying, "Oh my god, <laughs> Ralph Massey's at the table. He's you know he's having some discourse with the dealer. Apparently, you know they've had some back and forth in the past." And um, I just turned to the dealer. I was like, "You know what? You really don't like him. Give me aces. Give him kings, and run that shit clean." <laughs> I looked down in my hand, dude. I have aces. It gets to fucking Ralph. He's all in. I'm just like, yo, this has to be a fucking joke. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, this can't be real, right? I was like, yo, he really hates you. And he's like, no, he fucking really does. And he flips over the king. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Dude, and it, it ran the, out clean. Yo, I literally shaked for like 45 minutes. So now we're... Now we're just going to talk about how Venetian's hiring mechanics? Like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> yo... No, I, th I, th I think Brewer responded with like what the math was. It was like oh, one yeah. in forty six thousand or something oh like my that. God, yeah, that's dude. What we're here to talk about today? Manifestation, guys. You all you got to do is manifest it. If you put the right power, I hate you. The right. <laughs> I fucking hate you. Can you guys? Can you I guys start you so that much. right now? All of us for uh, for my day two tomorrow. <laughs> it's such copium. Like it, it's just, oh, man. Yeah, I needed somewhere to, you know. Honestly, right. though, if a manifestation idea allows someone to have a different perspective shift and see more good than bad, then sure. Okay. That's so, a little different, right? So this is, this is, this. This is where I struggle with, with this whole secret nonsense. Uh, you used to love the secret. Don't tell anybody my secret. Yeah, because I was also an idiot. I was 21. <laughs> And I wanted to not be broke. Rude. It seemed like, like wishing. Oh wait, we can we can we can just control what's going to come. It seemed like wishing we, really uh, fucking yeah, hard for it, things was yeah. a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I feel like we need to have this sec this segment with Chewy. 
Wow. I would love to have this segment. Well, here's the thing. Chewie being Paris very right reasonable, now, and I'm trying to be reasonable, but uh, my logic brain... At, at 21, my, my emotional brain would win out. At 41, my logic brain wins out. Mm -hmm. We need and a defender of, the situ of that situation. I, I'll defend it to a certain degree, but I'm going to defend it the same way that I would a placebo effect, right? Like, I do think that there is a lot of power that we that's very undiscovered with the mind the mind is very unexplored we don't know shit about it we know more about deep space than we do the human brain so what ability we have to actually dictate outcomes in our life what control we actually have over our consciousness and the reality around us it's all up for debate and i'm not going to be the one to try to say that like i know for sure that I'm in control or I'm conscious or I'm not conscious. I have no fucking clue, man. I leave it up to the... Therefore, I am. Sure. Leave, leave it up to <laughs> the neuroscientists. Descartes. Leave it up to the, uh, the Hubermans of the world, the um, Sam fucking Harris. Harris's of the world. Like, let them figure it out. I don't know. Okay. I'm interested in it. Uh, Annika Harris wrote a book, Consciousness, that I think is a must read for everybody. It's incredible. Um, but it doesn't give you any more answers. It just allows you more to questions. understand more perspectives, <laughs> right? So along those lines, like certainly we are able to, our, our brain controls our body to a certain degree. And like, we're able to get forward momentum in, in certain ways. If we, if we reprogram the way we think, so I'm all for the power of positivity. I'm all for hashtag positivity. <laughs> I'm all for, uh, you know, being mindful of, uh, the best case scenarios and the outcomes that, that could come from it and, you know, planning for those types of things. <laughs> but I draw the line at truly, truly convincing yourself that you can control the uncontrollable. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I Go think, on. I think right, you know what? Go on. All right, you know what? I'll just show you. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Lamanna is going to come top 18 tomorrow. That's it? Oh, I, you know, I can't, I can't go crazy here. Right, you can't go crazy because I, he actually cannot control anything. The problem is I can't control for you, so I, right. just, I just threw something out there. But I can control for me? Yeah, I mean, but you, you, the problem right. is you have to really think about it. Like, him? No shot. All right. We'll, he, we'll, he's not no shot we'll just get to top five and we'll, we'll do an ICM chop. <laughs> my, I think my issue, honestly, now looking at it from one way or the other, like full control, lack of control, just comes from a sense of ego, right? Where you think you have a better answer than something else. Yeah. Where we don't actually have the proof, or maybe whatever we'll get the proof. That's okay. But having one hard stance saying this is or is not fact is egotistical. Yeah, I think that the reason why I've probably swung so hard in the direction of uh, it's important to relinquish control in areas where it's clear we don't have any is having spent the last six years training and teaching people who are very much of the opposite mindset of they're so they're so beaten down by believing that they can control the uncontrollable that variance preys upon them in a way where when good things happen they believe it was based off of their skill and when bad things happen they believe it's the world conspiring against them and it's really challenging to teach a strategy to somebody who is pre-programmed to believe that all the variables in their environments are actually fixed based off of how they're currently thinking the the physical actions that they take like if they breathe if they breathe too heavy like they legitimately believe that every single decision that they make 
had a bearing on this outcome not recognizing that the deck is fucking random and that there are just some things that are insurmountable like that ace was always coming on the river it's the guy who goes what if i had jammed it's like well sir we were 10 pots deep yeah <laughs> yeah what if you would yeah, have jammed? Like, would you ever jam there in your life no like of course i would have folded because it would be ridiculous to shove i actually saw someone jam like 10 pots yesterday it was Wow. The but, 10 pot jam on the actually, river is a thing. No, actually, on, even on the turn. This was on the flop. It was actually on the flop is a little gangster. Yeah, it was like it was like a um, Jack 10x flush draw. Pretty close. 10 not 10 10 9x. Um, and he was in the big blind who called called a raise. And it like they were both like had over 100k at like no, it had like 100 bigs, right? And it was just like normal C bet all in. <laughs> I'm like, he just has 910. I just has nine ten like every day. Like he said, he said he he said he was like you were behind. You're behind. The other guy tanked forever and folded and said he had uh, two clubs on the board. He had king queen of clubs. Mm. Um, well, king, you, don't, you don't really have a choice. Got her in a flush draw. Got her in a flush draw. And he folds. Yeah, but Look like the, the only thing that makes sense for this guy to jam here, who's like he plays like you know he's he's playing well. Like, like Anyways, normal, back, not doing anything crazy. But. Back on track with the control lack thereof. I think there are things that are in our control, call it reacting to winning or losing all-ins, which can change the way you play from a mental standpoint. But I don't think I lean on your side when it comes to, I can control this run out, this run out, and this iteration of the universe is based off of how I think. Because yeah, that I, would be relatively I think, egotistical I think sure. that makes it very challenging, right? Because it's very blurry where that line starts and ends as far as like what is within our control and what's not. So I think you touched on a very uh, kind of sensitive topic around anybody who plays this game seriously. And that's the notion of at what point have I allowed my emotions to overcome my ability to uh, think logically and execute the strategy that I know is winning. And the reason why that becomes so gray is because our knowledge is so, um, so poorly defined when it comes to the depths of this game, right? So automatically out of the gate, if you play this game seriously, I don't care if you are uh, a, start, uh, a, a beginning recreational or you believe that you're one of the best in the world and completely elite, no matter what, you're already leading with ego and selling to yourself to some degree that you have vision over how the game is supposed to work, right? Um, a good example of this is Gelfon tweeted uh, yesterday or today, I think it was today. Uh, he tweeted something to the effect of, even if you're primarily an exploitative player, an understanding of GTO is critical when playing against anybody who studies. If you don't know what basic strategy looks like for your opposition, how will you, uh, you hand-read based off of their decisions to bet or the size that they bet? Uh, and we can dig into that a little bit more because I don't necessarily think that that's completely true in live um just because we are capable of intuiting some sort of like data through observation it's just going to be rather inaccurate um but hunt quote tweeted this and his response is more so what i want to speak to for for this uh portion of the discussion he said i see this response all the time along the lines of gto is useless against weak players how do you know they're weak players if you don't know what gto looks like and I think that that point is pretty relevant, right? Because it's now creating this hard divide where in order to qualify or in order to be a qualified voice as to say whether or not something is good or bad, you actually have to have a metric to judge it against, 
right? And that's actually pretty pretty profound when you think about it because for decades, think about the Mattisals of the world, the Helmuths of the world. Uh, I got called by this idiot from Northern Europe, mm -hmm. honey. Yeah. Right? Like they're they're making their basis strictly off of how they understand and see the game. Mm -hmm. And they're assuming through ego and arrogance that their knowledge based off of sheer experience and experience alone is greater than the knowledge of somebody else playing across the table from them, regardless of their experience or, uh, you know, better understanding of the game. It's why there's such a pushback against, uh, you know, these, these profound tools like solvers and things of that nature from that camp, because now there's a machine that says, well, actually the way you've been thinking about it, it's all wrong. And that's a tough pill to swallow if the only way that you're viewing the game is through the lens of, I must be right, therefore, and, you know, building a strategy. Right. The difference right in a solve strat, when we talked yesterday about principle and practice, is the solver can change how you think principally, which can be a tough pill to swallow if you only look at experience alone, where you've had results and have had Ws by doing what you've been doing. And then the solve says, well, principally, it actually works this way. And now you have to sit there and say, am I wrong? And do I have to look at the game differently or disregard it completely and have that arrogance of, I know better than this thing. I've won so much. The solver would never win as much as I've won. Right. And the problem is that there's truth to both, right? Because uh, the feedback loops aren't clean in poker by any stretch. Winning is not indicative of... Uh, knowledge or talent what was that you moved the table jesus christ i thought somebody was knocking uh <laughs> yeah so like uh winning is not necessarily indicative of knowledge or talent and losing is not necessarily indicative of lack thereof right like the deck just kind of chooses whenever you zoom in on any small sample set and say like you know are you a winner or loser at this game it's like well volume is the only thing that can really dictate the answer to that um and even in some instances like live poker that's not even necessarily true yeah i remember running an roi calc with some friends and if you have a 40 percent roi playing 2k abis live you could just be break even slash losing for three years over a 1500 mtt sample yeah you can just lose for three years and you're actually a very good player. Yeah. So what do you say when people say something like, uh, how do you know the solver is right? Because you have to put in the response of the other person for the solver to, to and, and how do you know that that's right? You're just making an assumption of what the other guy will do. So how can you say that, that the GT, that the solver is, is correct in, in the way? I think the real answer the to that is that correct is the wrong term. And you actually have to look at it from the principled standpoint versus the practical standpoint. And there's probably a gradient of correctness in both. Yeah. Where the solver has some sort of ideas as to what works principally and then being able to use that practically and then actually looking at it practically and thinking about how it works principally in order to make decisions. That's very well stated, I think. Does um, the solver have more or less bracelets than 12? <laughs> what does that mean? You mean 16? He has 16? Helmuth has 16? Yeah, he has 16, and the answer is what? more. My God. Oh, yeah, RTI. I mean, there, no, what are you talking? There was 100 bracelet events last year. You don't think more than 16 people who study won? I mean, I, I didn't mean it in that sense. I don't care how you meant it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you were trying to say. Don't you write um, on my brain? I think, I think Landon's point is very well stated there. Uh, 
like correct is a lie is sort of right. where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what needs to be understood whenever we're talking about game theory, and, and this is why I want to push back a little bit about what Phil wrote and uh, less so Matt's response, because I, I think Hunt is uh, largely correct that you don't get to be a voice of reason to decide what's good and bad if you don't have any idea of like what the principles driving good and bad are which is EV. Um, but the reason why I would push back a little bit against Phil is because uh, our ability to actually unravel this game. So understand that like if, if we looked at poker from, from uh, the end point backward, right? So the last point in the game tree, the last node, and we worked our way back and populated the tree out that way, there would be an exact perfect strategy for every single hand that you're ever dealt, every single situation, every single hand, there would always be a perfect move. And that would be true equilibrium. Uh, so there would be a perfect uh, strategy, counter strategy for every single decision mm -hmm. if we made it a perfect information game. And EV would just run at zero at the end of it. Yes, correct. That, that's why it's a zero-sum game, right? Like, so if we took away the um, imperfect information aspect of it, everybody turned their cards face up, there would be a perfect decision for every single uh, hand counter strat, right? But the game wouldn't exist. It would just break immediately. There's, there is no game. It'd be right? tic tac yeah. It's like saying if you played chess and everyone said what their strategy were and where they're going to move, would yeah. end in the draw. I, it, later, or Brian's point in a simplified version is tic tac toe is, is the perfect example, right? Like as the as the board populates, you know precisely what the next move is. Right. Yeah. It's just like a matter of will they make an error. A hundred games of tic tac toe, it all ended in tie every time. It, it should, yes. It should. And so one of us made a mistake. And that's the thing. It's like you're just anticipating an error, right? Yeah. So you, I, I put X in the lower left hand corner. You put O in the middle, and it's like now it's just an anticipation of like, mm -hmm. okay, well I know his next move is supposed to be, uh, you know, upper right hand corner or something like that. I, yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I, if I saw the board, I could see it, but right, yeah. uh, whatever it is. And then I don't go there. And now immediately you say, okay, I know that at worst I can play to a tie or mm -hmm. I could potentially play to a yeah. win because he missed this, whatever. For what um, it's worth, you said that um, if you played 100 games that they would all end in a tie. No, it would all end in you guys screaming at each other. Probably. <laughs> we'll find a way. 110% every single game. I'm sorry, this light is killing me right now. <laughs> Okay. What the fuck is wrong? Look at him. <laughs> Yo, my head is killing me right hey, now. Turn, light. turn the light off, man. You have a goddamn computer screen in front of your face or whatever this is. <laughs> like, what, what are you, Grandma Nella? Like, <laughs> I'm dying right out now. on a golf course? What is that? Want these glasses? I'm so yeah, dying. Right they, please give yeah, him the glasses. Tortua Every glasses. time somebody has now you an, got me saying tortua. an eye or headache problem, they get <laughs> That's these. That's how it starts. They get the legendary glasses. That's how it starts. One other person acknowledges his idiotic <laughs> Dude, you nonsense. Look, you look fly as fuck in this. I look like a baby tortua. Yeah, you look good, man. I think you should bring this to the series this summer. I just, I'm going to bring him the fucking win today. Yeah, let's All go. Right. That's what Thank I'm going to do. Man, that used to be high fashion. So Used to be. So I want to spin this conversation a little bit into, uh, into white magic and, and talk about like the notion of clairvoyance, right? Uh, and I'm going to come at this from a different angle, I think, than, than may be expected because I wholeheartedly believe in clairvoyance. Uh, and, you know, Landon and I discussed a hand yesterday where um, I didn't get paid off in a spot where I felt I should have, but I, I was kind of explaining to him like there was literally nothing I could do. Mm -hmm. We knew his hand mm -hmm. and I was off by a pip when it was all said and done, 
but it like it just doesn't matter like i know precisely what his hand is i expect certain actions for him to take with said hand and when that doesn't happen the only thing i can do is put more money in the pot and just hope oh. he he calls right so the hand played out as such where um uh i was playing no gamble no future yesterday which will air in a couple months but uh matthew's um uh what's his last name Max Steinberg, Matthew Steinberg, Matthew Steinberg, uh, <laughs> who is, uh, um, he's in the, the, the gas trading industry. So just like a wealthy recreational player. He opens under the gun to three and a half X and has been playing relatively snug full or sorry, two people call. Uh, I think Ellie Elezra calls and maybe Eric Hicks calls on the button. I'm in the small blind with two Queens red. I three bet large. So it goes like 700 call call. I make it. Or, or sorry, we were playing, uh, I was in the middle blind. We were playing straddle. Is that right? Because I made it 5,500. No, yeah. So it was 700 call, call, 100, 200. I was in the small blind. I make it 5,500, which is a huge three bet. We're like 65K effective. Daniel folds the big blind. He calls everyone else like 28 folds. 28 bigs. Yeah, big. That's why I was trying to think if I got it right or not. But he calls everybody else folds. It's like, okay, well, he opened another gun and called a big three bet, which is what I wanted because I have queens. But also, like, that range is going to be pretty snug. Uh, so flop comes, like, nine, seven deuce, uh, two spades. I don't have a spade. I bet 75 into, like, 13-ish. Uh, he raises to 16-5. How deep? Uh, we have pot behind, or, like, 80% pot behind. And uh, I think the only two options that you have here are to call or jam, obviously. Um, but I also don't think that, like, he has many flush draws. And the problem with jamming is I think that he has some traps with aces and kings because I three bet so large. And I also think that like because he is an inexperienced player, he's going to just fold. Because my read on him was that he was risk averse. So I think he'll just fold jacks and tens now. And that becomes a big problem if when I jam, he calls with better and folds worse, right? Uh, especially when I don't think I need to protect against the spade or over cards or anything like that. Like I don't ever think he's just going to show up ace, king, one spade here. Or anything along those lines, right? So I just call. Turn is like a three rainbow. Or a non-spade, rather. I check. He checks back. Obviously, now I definitely have the best hand. He's certainly in that Jackson tens range. Uh, river is another seven. Spades miss. So 80% pot. I obviously jam. He tanks for a very long time with eights in the eight of spades and folds. And, you know, Landon and I were kind of discussing it before we knew that he had eights. And I was explaining, like, you know, I know for a fact that his range is tens through aces. Mm -hmm. And uh, he doesn't have aces and kings very often, right? He just got this in on the turn. Oh, sorry. I meant on flop when he raised it. We're, we're just discussing the flop decision. Because Landon was trying to make an argument for clicking. Right. Just to take the initiative back and then jam for a smaller pot size mm -hmm. bet on the turn. And I think that that's valid against a thinking player. But I think like what he is not sensitive to, being an online guy, is that the feel player is always taking action for information. So where we take action for, for value and equity denial, like first and foremost, and then information being a byproduct, the recreational or the new player who is... Like, Matt played well. He, he understands range construction pretty well. He understands like equities and he didn't make any errors in those two realms. And that's like, that's a winning formula. You know, you don't need to know game theory if you understand like how equities run 
and how ranges interact with one another. That's, that's kind of good enough at most levels. So he wasn't making any big egregious errors. And the thing is now that flop raise is to protect from me just having like, you know, ace king, ace queen that's C betting. And now he has to make tough decisions on the turn when overcards fall. So he's trying to like protect his hand, but he's 100% folding to a jam. And that's obviously clear when everything misses and I shove river and he has a clear bluff catcher and folds, right? Um, if I click, I'm very certain he's also probably just folding to that because he doesn't put a lot of value into his hand. The value of his hand in his mind is picking up the pot uncontested versus overcards. Yeah. And when that fails, total shutdown mode. So we have complete clairvoyance, albeit we were off a pip, um, but I don't think that changes too much. Eights are the same as jacks at that point. It's not like I'm ever shoving tens here. Right. You know, um, it's not like I ever have a nine and I'm jamming for value. So it's like he has this tiny little subsection of hands that all play identically, but are never ever committing any more money. And now it just becomes a, a, a position of like, how do I benefit then from being totally clairvoyant in this spot? And the answer is, instead of folding ace-king to jam it, right? I would just 3-bet jam ace-king on flop. Mm. Always. Yeah. Because he's going to overfold. Like, that's, that's exactly where we've positioned ourselves. The reason I'm able to be clairvoyant is because he has an imbalance that is very obvious and apparent when ranges are tight. And the natural adjustment then is one side or the other of my hand range has to benefit from that. Right. In this instance, it's not my value. My value suffers. When it comes to playing better or worse competition from the sense of principled study, when you're able to diagnose where someone is or have the hand class in mind, you then have the ability to solve for what the best action is with your hand is. Right. Because you mm -hmm. are still disguised while they are vulnerable. Right. And there that's what principle theory protects you from. Correct. Exactly. There was another clear spot of it where I was playing against Daniel um, in a blind versus blind scenario. I limp 5-4 off. He checks. Uh, the caveat to this is it was a double straddle. And Hicks thought that Daniel had raised under the gun over my straddle. So Hicks completed from the 200 calling 600 more thinking he was facing a min raise under the gun mm -hmm. and vocalizes that he goes oh i thought that was a raise uh so then i complete and daniel goes oh you thought it was a raise like as if you know you would have called a raise from that spot and he goes okay and checks back <laughs> now the board comes ace queen four rainbow hicks leads for half pot i call and then daniel min raises to 3k so he goes 1500 call min raise hicks folds Daniel always has a queen. Yeah. I mean, his best hand is queen four, but I block that. He never, ever, ever has an ace because, well, I mean, the meta behind all of this was like, he was just massively blowing up every hand, like playing 100% VPIP. He was no gamble, no future. Yeah, and also it was the stand-up game. So he and I are standing at this point. So like he has every incentive in the world if he has an ace to just like go for it. Yeah. So he doesn't go for it. So clearly he never has an ace. The best holding he's ever going to have is queen four, but he almost certainly just exclusively has a queen. So we've now narrowed his range down to exactly one class of hands. Turn is an offsuit seven, goes check, check. River's a five, and we have pot and a half behind. And uh, spades had missed. So my thought process was, okay, I miss a bunch of draws here. He has exactly a middle of range bluff catcher. I'm all in, because that's how I would play my bluffs. Right. So I jam, 
and uh, he's just like, and also it's a stand-up game, so I'm incentivized to like go for the pot a little bit more. So I jam. Uh, he thinks for a while, and he's like, oh, you know, you know exactly what I have. Like, obviously, I have a queen here. Like, I'm thinking about calling, and then he's like, I'm gonna see it anyway because the rules of stand-up game, you show, you win, and he folds. So I table it and win, and uh, I started talking to him a little bit after. He's like, I, I, he's like, I wanted to call. Obviously, I was like, yeah, I'm sure if I bet half pot, you like always call. Uh, maybe if I bet like full pot, you always call. He's like, yeah, probably. And it's like, okay, so what? What the takeaway there is not that I shouldn't have jams. It's that I should always bluff jam, and size differently for my value. Mm -hmm. What's your hand right. chart? Bottom two. Uh, and that's just one of those scenarios where it's like when you are fully clairvoyant, your strategies diverge mm -hmm. because each each portion of your range will perform differently based off of the imbalance that's coming from your clairvoyance. Right. It comes down to understanding the wits and wagers and putting more confidence in your wagers when you have more of an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Where versus someone that's principally studied and call it wouldn't min raise flop in that situation they're more disguised overall so you can't be as confident with a read right and and even going further with that there were a lot of meta things that took place here that could only happen in the live realm we're playing a, a stand-up game that has a bounty on it which incentivizes aggression eric hicks believes he's calling an aggressive action vocalizes mm -hmm. that daniel acknowledges that he thought he was calling a raise and then checks back in a spot where he's incentivized to be over-aggressing by a long shot, right? All of these things are happening at once, and that allows for the clairvoyance. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this was, uh, one, we didn't have a show otherwise. We, we, we had nothing else to talk about. <laughs> um, but, but more importantly, uh, there's a lot of credibility to the live feel player, right? Like, I think this is largely dismissed because what we see on TV is generally a display of either a game built around complete monkey fish that are just spewing everywhere and there is no strategy. I mean, there is a strategy, obviously, but like uh, we forgive those who don't play theory against that because we understand exploiting them is just worth more. Right. Or we see the elites. We see the high rollers. The high roller yeah, tournaments. Yeah, we see the Triton Chadwick. events. Yeah. It's Chidwick versus Bonomo yeah. versus, you know, Dan Smith. And, like, all these guys are just, like, in the streets. And Adamo is somehow the outlier because he's playing, like, you know, 10% more aggressive than the solver ever would. But, like, he's still taking very, very principled theoretical lines, mm -hmm. right? He's just finding new mechanics to, to work into the principles. Uh, what they're forgetting about are the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who have never looked at a solver that are just out there studying their own intuition, right? They're just tapped in to their own intuition and what they've observed. Yeah, well, they're playing from a sense of what do I think my hand wants to do and how do I make that happen? Where they have a value hand, okay, bet. They have a hand that they're not sure if they should check or bet. Most people, if they're risk averse, they check, okay? more likely to be lower middle of range. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you get trapped or sneak attacked, but on most of the time, the bet sizes that you can choose will allow you to be able to exploit and take advantage of that. Where versus somebody very, very good, they're checking and choosing bet sizes carefully to know that they have good hands and auto folds if they do get raised. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of stuck on something. Good. Do we have an image of a monkey fish? <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out. Get on that. 
Bobo can Photoshop. Would it you prefer it. the the head of a fish in the body of a monkey or the body of a fish in the head of a monkey? Honestly, I don't know. I've been really going back and forth in my head. I'm like, mm. what does this thing look like? I actually think I, I think the head of a fish with the body of a monkey. I think head of fish, tail of fish, body of monkey. Mm. Do we do like a blowfish? I think head of fish, body of monkey is a, a more aggressive spewy player, where body of fish, head of monkey is a more passive collie player, a station, if you will. Okay. That's that's how it works in my mind. I like that. You know, the, so this fish monkey is a monkey fish. <laughs> right. The monkey fish is the one just slinging poo with a bass face, right? <laughs> like just throwing shit all over the place while he's got the big big yeah, the boop, big boop, bass boop. face, you know, with the big lips. But <laughs> but the the fish monkey the fish monkey, you know, he's got the, the fish body. He's just like flapping on the table, just giving you his money one big blind at a time. Yeah, I remember when Helmuth had that thing of making people animals when they play poker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is book. version two of that. He right. did what? Right. He, uh, you, like the, the lion, the, the lion and eagle, elephant. mm -hmm. elephants. Yeah. If you mix a donkey in there somewhere, it's just, it, I mean. One God of the first forums I, I was ever a part of was donkey, donkey fish, fish poker. Yeah, donkey fish. Wow, what the fuck did you find, man? <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is this thing? We, I'm, I'm gonna keep it a buck. I would not want to play that person. This looks like this looks like evil incarnate. We oh, we all shit. evolved from a single cell organism. <laughs> we were one, We were once aquatic. Did you just Google monkey fish? <laughs> this is the evolution. This is the evolution of man right here. Holy shit! And some people it play is. poker like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Less uh, less less fearful. Look, like when there's skin, you know, on the monkey, he looks cuter. <laughs> Holy shit. It um, don't look good, cuz. <laughs> it doesn't look good, cuz. Cuz is actually a very great example of what we're talking about here. When we're, when we're talking about the field player. A fucking legend. Somebody who's like trained their intuition mm -hmm. to lead them. Cuz would never make it in the cash game world. Because you have to make too many decisions that uh, sacrificing EV on comes back to haunt you, right? Because every pot or every dollar invested... Um, needs to return some sort of some sort of money in order for it to be a good play, right? Even if you're investing one dollar to win one cent, that's still a good decision that you've made. You've you've mm -hmm. made money, right? It's asymmetric risk, of course, but like you're still making money. Tournaments don't work that way. Yeah, you can invest a dollar and return ninety cents, but if you do it in a, in such a way where uh, the variance was on your side and you actually doubled up because of that mistake or whatever the case may be. You, you just carry your way through. So all he needs to do is be more right than wrong, mm -hmm. right? It becomes a little bit more black and white. I know I'm simplifying things. All you tournament grinders out there, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it seem like they're that easy. Tournaments are more complex than cash. I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, but they also are higher variance than cash. And it's like not even remotely close. That variance plays in the favor of the field player. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if like your intuition, as you've sharpened it, leans risk averse, leans very conservative, uh, also that now gets projected out onto people, right? Like nobody's paying cuz off yeah. because that's why he talks so much. It's to get paid. Well, uh, it's funny cause you, uh, like talking about this, um, a couple of days ago, uh, Lily Newhouse posted, um, it was like five ways to improve your, uh, like, you know, prove your play or whatever at, at the WSOP. Mm. And like number five was, uh, trust yourself. And it was like, you know, she, oh my God. <laughs> What the hell That's is adorable. That? That's adorable. It is adorable. Little baby monkey fish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, but like what you were saying is like trust yourself because, you know, if, if you played this game long enough, you know, years, decades even, 
you you your subconscious has built up a database then and that and that database is what is intuition or your gut feeling like you you you've seen this play so many times and you know you you know like oh that i just know they have it yeah kind of thing like i just know they have it here because you've seen it so many times throughout your career like this exact moment i think it's your subconscious telling you i think that. that's the big difference between like landon's generation and ours though mm -hmm. is that or at least for me specifically like i've had the best of both worlds where i've had my intuition trained through feel and observation and that observational data is worth a lot, even right. though generally we say we, we succumb to our biases too much. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be the type of person who always leaned aggressive and risk on. So those biases are already pre-programmed to not giving up. And now whenever, whenever my instinct or my observation tells me like, no, 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 you should be too tight in this spot because of what you've seen. Imagine how far down the spectrum I have to come mm -hmm. in order to shy away from like what my, my, my uh, natural behavior wants to do, right? Now I have the luxury of having seen how this stuff plays out at equilibrium and being able to compare and contrast the two and see where the difference is. For Landon, his unconscious competence is trained through Sims. His conscious competence is also trained through Sims. So there's the Sims that are just a part of his total recall where he can immediately identify board texture and say big bet, right? That's, that's in his conscious competence. It's just right there. Then there's this unconscious competence that he can't really put his finger on why this is a clear bluff spot. Like this is an intuitive bluff spot to him. This is an intuitive spot to go... 10% pot. This is an intuitive spot to go 200% pot, right? It's all programmed from things that he's seen maybe only a couple of times in passing running sims or pattern that he's recognized through a handful of sims, but it hasn't made it to the conscious competence level because he hasn't drilled it. He hasn't been put in the situation enough to, to confirm it over and over again by rerunning and, and looking at it, right? But the layers are the same, right? It's just a, a varying gradient of how much he can actually recall in real time versus how much his body just like intuits having done enough repetitions uh, of running the sim to say like, trust yourself in this spot. Like your intuition's correct. Be aggressive or don't mm -hmm. be aggressive. The problem is he lacks the human psychological aspect of it that we can kind of understand as old timey regs where it's like, yeah, What's man. But those parameters are very, very different here. Mm -hmm. Like this guy has already turned his hand face up to you on this exact node. And you're thinking three nodes ahead where he's still going to have balance. Yeah. And it's not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a tough thing when it comes to reverting to what works for you. Because there are definitely spots in live poker where I'll fold hands. I know that are zero EV in theory because don't, bluffs don't exist enough. But when you're in the gray area of I'm not sure if there's enough bluffs or not, or this spot might be a little bit different for whatever reason, we always revert to what we trust. Yeah. And if I trust the machine and know mm -hmm. that a spot's worth zero, it's easier to cope yourself into mixing for a spot that might just be a pure play one way or the other. Yeah, and somebody else might revert to their gut instinct because they don't have that the background that you have or whatever well, it is, so they, they revert to we know the other side. from statistics, at least from the cash game perspective and like from the detox data, that the risk-averse strategy normally 
loses. Mm -hmm. So taking the aggressive action on the aggregate, like just looking at spots blankly, should serve you well. Right. But there are also nuanced spots where that's the inverse, where bluffs don't exist enough, or the pot odds you're getting for this size isn't actually worth bluffing or calling, whatever the action may be. But reverting into what you trust is what allows you to make decisions. So if some people have the database of The Sims, it's easy to say, oh, I know this is indifferent in theory. I'm going to mix for it. And if I roll high enough, I'm going to call. Mm -hmm. Where if people don't have that studied, nuanced look, they revert to what they trust. And that's their instinct of, I've called here so many times and I've never won. Yeah. Why would this spot be any different? Yeah. But then the instinct then changes to consciousness when they play somebody that's highly studied, where they know bluffs will exist. Right. And you'll see it because Matt or myself will take a line and someone might say, oh, I would fold, but it's you. Right. And then they look mm -hmm. at you and they know that you're bluffing enough or they have that inkling that you are finding bluffs to where they can't just revert to their instinct of, I want to fold every time because mm -hmm. I don't win. Yeah. Because they've been proven otherwise by seeing bluffs, mm -hmm. not just against them, but just as a whole. Right. I felt like when I was playing yesterday, I would, I would think, I was thinking like, cause there was like a handful of good players and a handful of like recreational players at my table. And I was treating them very differently. Right. It was just like, I know like when I'm playing against this person, they're going to be, you know, their range is going to be constructed and they're going to like, they're going to make good, good bets on the flop and they're going to be more balanced. So like I have to keep that in mind where the other person is just completely out of balance and, and don't bluff enough and unconstructed. So it's like you just take a different approach against them. Yeah, that's the EV exchange, right? Mm -hmm. The more constructed somebody is, the less EV they're giving away right. in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And the less constructed someone is, the more EV they're giving away in a sense of how quickly can you diagnose and understand where they're at in the hand or the hand strengths that they're representing and what's congruent with the bluffs that could exist and then making wild deviations that... In theory, you're like, oh, of course this is a mixed call or a pure call. But in practice, you face a 2x pot jam from someone that's never 2x pot jam before. Right. And you just, just like start folding fold, yeah. hands mm -hmm. that look like they're never supposed to fold. Mm -hmm. But in reality, under the certain constraints, they are. Right, exactly. And when you can just make that explosive fold, it's like it's huge. It's worth tons because yeah. there are spots where mm -hmm. you should probably be out of the tournament versus a constructed and right, very exactly. good player. Yeah. But when there's so much EV to be gathered, mm -hmm. you can find it in different spots. Yeah. So I, I guess I have two questions to, uh, to all of you guys, especially since I think all three of you kind of come from different perspectives. Uh, the first one um, will be for any of you who watched the, the Million Dollar Cash Game this weekend. What do you think about a guy like Roble who very clearly, uh, at least based off of how he played that specific lineup, was playing way, way more feel-based than... Uh, theoretical. It warmed my heart. Go on. It really just warmed my heart watching him play. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. There's just like spots where a solver would just never fold or like, you know, and he was just like, you know, this is a fold. <laughs> I'm beat here. I'm folding. And I don't know. Like without like the nines hand and like the stuff that happened later on in the session due to like the side bet. Um, I was intrigued by his field play. I mean, he got it wrong in a couple spots too, right? Like he folded to a big bet from either Patrick or 
darkest. It was from Patrick and he had jacks. Yeah, he had jacks on a nine or ten high board. Yeah, Patrick had the double blocks straight with mm -hmm. eights and was going to just rifle it off. And then Robo folded jacks. But now we're talking about side bet and then future street playability. He had jacks and a spade. It might just be a good fold, right? And in these sort of situations with new games, new side bets, new sort of things to think about in real time, I think it's what makes the difference between a great player and an elite and an elite player and a world class player. Yeah, like uh, he, he he's thinking on the fly. Right. I think like like it's a it's a perfect example of someone who understands uh theory versus practice, right? And and is able to execute it uh to the fullest. To like that's why that's why he's so good because he does understand the, you know, what the theory says, but like in practice he's able to make the correct plays. Uh contrary to that theory. Yeah, and it's not going to be perfect because poker is a hard game of and course, not every decision is going to be right, perfect. But, but maybe we saw a display of him uh, you know, playing practice versus theory it may be the best we've ever seen. It's just At like, least in that in sort the, of situation. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, I feel like I haven't seen it a lot recently. Yeah, I, well I there's like a fear of being wrong on camera. Yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I think that like for somebody of robust stature or like Somebody like me who uh, is the face of a training site, there's a lot of additional pressure to mm -hmm. play a hand theoretically. The irony is that like uh, a lot of the hands that I get most criticized by the public are the hands that I play like the most theoretically sound. Like that ace-king hand is like a nothing whenever it comes to right. uh, whether it's a decision or not. Where 160 big blinds deep facing a five-bet shove, ace-king suited is like 100% yeah. of the I time think it, just it a comes clear all call. the way back around to like, okay, yes, that is theory, but it's so... People think like, okay, in practice, this is always a fold. So then, but in th like, so like if you do something very theoretically correct, but then in practice, it's, it's such a fold. And then you do the, you do the, the, the former, then, then you're going to get criticized. For yeah. That. I mean, I don't even think in practice versus Al, it's a fold, I'm but I'm not maybe. saying that exact situation. But like, it's sure. Not, if I call it, is, it off there right. versus, uh, I'm trying to think like who else was in the lineup. Um, who? Who would be somebody that like it would just be insane to call off versus who was who's in that lineup? With I don't remember. King? Yeah, it was Hicks, Al, the driver, <laughs> uh, K or, or, no, Kmart, Kmart. Yeah, I mean, I'm calling against all of these guys. Yeah. Um, um, Maria Ho, like I'm calling versus her. Who am I missing? Like, who the fuck was this game running around? <laughs> you, me. <laughs> <laughs> The guy who lost the most. Well, yeah. If you can't find the monkey fish, the monkey fish. <laughs> if you can't find the monkey fish. <laughs> what the goddamn hell's going on here? <laughs> Not for real though. Who else was in the lineup? There were more people. This guy. This guy's there. I don't think there's anyone that you full ace king in that spot verse. I mean, there had to be somebody in the lineup Robbie. that like, doesn't fight. Oh, yeah, Robbie. I would fold versus Robbie, for sure. There you go. Robbie, five bet jams versus me. I'm 100% full. How do we forget about Robbie? Jesus Christ. Well, Fuck you, Berkey. <laughs> no, fuck you, Conrad. Fuck off, yeah, that was she likes me now. You're the new R of her. Of yeah. her uh... She actually didn't say fuck you, Berkey. She said fuck off, Berkey. She did. Uh, she, and no, she and then me... she followed with you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah she gave yeah, me a straight off, up Berkey, fuck you, you Berkey. Fuck and fuck you, Conrad, at the horseshoe the other day. <laughs> Rightfully so. You're how mean. do you write that? What do you mean how do I write that? That's what I believe. Fuck you. <laughs> Someone cut his mic, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I, I do agree with the Robo thing. Uh, I think that like you know he's rich enough and confident enough, and also doesn't give a fuck about his image to play to the best of his ability. Mm -hmm. And I think he did put that on display. I think his accurate. I think that was a perfect example of when people say your intuition is too inaccurate to follow. 
that is a, a clear uh, three-day session that we can point to and say, you're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. This guy has more experience at high stakes, nosebleeds, uh, live specifically, mm -hmm. than most anyone else. Right. And his reads are all fucking spot on. Like, this is his normal game. Right? Yeah. Well, not that big, but yeah. Uh, and when I say his reads are spot on, I'm not saying like he picked up on a heart rate or something along those lines. I mean, his ability to hand read in these situations was just like dead fucking on. Right. You know? Right. You can distill the game down to good hand, bad hand. And if your hand can beat good, bad hand. Right. Well, he has kings kind of, yeah. and has a set and knows there's a flush out there and someone chooses big bet. He's like, oh, kings here is actually bad hand. I fold. Yeah. I mean, it's like set. Yeah, straight flush all there. Guy stills betting. the The crazy thing about that hand though is like the sizing, because Rob did not bet big; he bet half pot. Yeah, so and he still decided there's not worse value. There just is not any one pair hands in this in this line. There aren't any two pair hands in this line. Right. It's the difference between not faulting somebody for calling off because of price, and then trying to find the reasons why they could find a fold in practice. Right. And then. It's easier for the floor to make the call with Kings and be like, yeah, of course you have to call. And then it's harder to trust that somebody knows what they're doing enough to make I that I mean, he fold. stands, he's risking looking like a complete fool folding Kings there, right? And like, he just nails it. So mm -hmm. I, I do think that this is a, it's an aside because uh, it, it does prove Phil's point. Like he knows theory quite well enough where he also knows how to deviate and how to exploit people who don't know theory nearly as well. And, you know, no offense to Rob, I thought he played great for three days, but, like, he's not going to be the most theoretically sound player. Uh, it was really funny. There was a spot where um, Rob had opened and MJ defended the big blind with, like, utter garbage. And the board came, like, Jack-8-6 or Jack-8-5, something along those lines, two-tone. And MJ checked, and Rob goes, do you want me to make the GTO C-bet or the Rob C-bet? <laughs> And MJ kind of joked, but wasn't really joking. And I knew, I, in my head, as soon as he said that, I go, they're the same. They're 100% the same. Because in your mind, the Rob C-bet is big. But in theory here, big is correct. And MJ just goes, I don't care. I think they're, they're the same. And he goes, okay, I'll make the Rob C-bet. And bet's big. And I was like, yeah, they're the same. Like, you just... You know, you're, you're just unaware. You think GTOC bet here is small, but it's actually not on this texture. Well, that's the difference between having the theory backbone versus the instinctual guess right where you know that theory likes big bet but in a certain spot when it comes to hand classes instinct might say oh this hand needs protection big bet right and theory is actually just on the same page like yeah you got tens on nine eight four big right. bet yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um this, the follow-up to this then is you know the I don't even want to say the derivative thereof because I would say Robo is almost the derivative there of what I'm about to ask, but does this explain white magic? I think it does. I think it explains the idea Maybe of white magic. <laughs> I don't necessarily know if it's something that can be transferred from one person to another. Well, that's why it's magic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why everyone has their own kind of magic in that sense, right? Some people are better at the intuitive side. Some people definitely don't have enough experience to start using that to their advantage. And then finding their baseline and trusting in what they believe to be the overlord, right? When it comes to using Sims or using your feel is what allows for EV to be exchanged. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Phil is, is one of the, you know, top players, top Phil players. Like he, un Phil's, Phil plays, no wonder, his name's Phil. 
Push it to Phil play. Here's what I'll say real quick. Sorry. Like what I'll say about the whole white magic idea. I think the idea of white magic in that sense exists, but there's a difference when you try to look at it through the sense of risk aversion, right. where you're yeah. playing a game that you know from your umpteen years of experience that most people are risk averse and will not go for it. Mm -hmm. So when big bets go in, you can start folding. Nice. Now, when you start playing people that are willing to go for it and start shoveling money in with hands that should and will try to win the pot, using and defaulting to white magic and overfolding makes you get absolutely torched. Yeah. No, right. I think that that's sure. true in cash. I think it's probably less true in tournaments. In tournaments, you can be fortunate enough to go play against people that are less willing to go for it. Yeah, and that's why you won't see him play a lot of the PGT and no limit events. Right. I, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. I, I should qualify. I think that's not true of soft tournaments where people are making big enough EV errors that you never have to take a zero EV spot. Right. Why would I take a zero EV spot if there is a spot in the future at this table where I can win five BB? And yes. I think that that probably does... Mantra. I think that probably does sum up Phil's MTT strategy pretty well in the sense that uh, I, I would imagine in most events where he runs, you know, start to finish and makes a final table, goes deep, maybe wins one, whatever... I would, I would reckon that he probably takes under a handful of zero EV spots the entire tournament. Like if we were able to look at every single hand and every single decision that we made, if we were able to just upload that to GTO Wizard or some other database and run it through and then filter for uh, all of the decisions where his hand was zero EV, mm -hmm. I would bet that he folds 100% of the time in those spots or damn near... Close. Close, maybe yeah. 95%. Unless of he's time. over it and then wants to take Queen 4 off to the dome against Foxen and but, he plays the <laughs> but, but that's not a zero EV spot. Right, yeah. That's not a zero EV spot. I'm not saying he doesn't take negative edges. Yeah, he certainly right. does. Yeah. But he 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 plays a strategy where whether it's actually true in practice, in his mind, is purely polarizing. He does nothing with the middle of his range. So everything that is supposed to be denoted into middle strong equity that fits into the bluff catcher region or uh, the the bluffing region, he just, cr he, he, he all but eliminates it. He tries to get those hands to showdown and anytime somebody resists, he surrenders. Right, the idea is to remove indifference from your entire game. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, we, what we see is that he's not, he's not very... And he uh, tells him, I'm going to get all your chips. You keep doing that, I'm going to get all your chips. Yeah. And, and he's, he's not wrong. He can be on the right side of coolers. But uh, what we see is that like, there isn't a lot of calculation that goes into the bottom of the polarization, right? He's not very well constructed there. It's random. But that randomness gives people fits because you know that he's so positioned to be at the top, right? Like, it's like he's a dangerous old man coffee or like a thinking old man coffee type where you know the top exists and he plays the top a certain way and it fits into his strategy. And then the bottom is just like almost randomly chosen by emotion. Mm -hmm. Like this particular hand, I feel a certain way and something in my gut or the yeah. stars or... It's completely like <laughs> out of construction. Right. Right. It's the just, white it's magic just, like comes yeah. from the bottom of his it's range. It's just like, you don't have it this time. I'm all in. I don't care what my two cards are. Yeah. 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 And like, that's what we saw with the queen four is just mm -hmm. like, he's getting beaten down by somebody who just is very calculated and strategic at every decision. And he says like, enough is enough. I don't feel like he has it this time. Mm -hmm. Puts in a committing three bet mm -hmm. and then goes with that narrative even further to convince himself, I still don't think he has it even though he jammed. Right. I'm going to call. Yeah. Yep. And it worked. <laughs> he had a deck read.
Listen, I want deck reads more than white magic. Where deck- do deck reads fall into the into the uh, clairvoyance realm? I think deck reads fall into ego, where you want something to happen a certain way because of whatever reason. And I personally don't think I have any control over the deck. Deck is what deck is. So if I have a feeling about it, it's because I am invested. What if I told you that the deck is actually blank and it's writing itself as you perform your action? Well, we see that they've <laughs> I would say they fan the cards out before shuffling it. So. Uh, no, that's only if you believe in time being linear, my friend. Mm, yeah. That could have already happened. Mm-hmm. Could have already happened. You know, for a future self. <laughs> There's the, this is actually, I don't even know how true this is, but I, I think this is, uh, I might actually be remembering something from The Secret, so it's probably utter bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I remember whatever I saw it from, I think it was like um, in parallel with the double slit experiment where this is actually a part of quantum physics where uh this is actually real yeah the double slit experiment is is real so it's like basically an atom being shot uh, i think they use like protons like light protons uh electrons or electrons yeah Mm -hmm. uh being shot through two slits when observed come out in a linear manner on the back wall and when you remove the observer uh they come out as a as a scatter or yeah Yeah. as a wave yeah Uh, yeah um and i think that i recall it's like an interference pattern on the back. Yeah. I, I think I recall them, you know, speculating something even further where uh, if time is not a linear continuum, but rather, uh, I, I guess, a circular one would be the alternative where, you know, we can leap forward back side to side and all these other things, then uh, what we're seeing now in the current uh, may just be a byproduct of something that was already undefined in the future and, and written backward. You know, basically, yeah, like the notion, hit- uh, I think it was also parallel to like hitting a baseball. Like mm-hmm. the, the brain doesn't actually see the baseball. Right. It, it projects an image mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. It's like when, when you break things down to like the, the quantum level, then like the, the rules of the physical world break, break down. Yeah. Yeah, they break down. So it's like, it's very strange. I've been saying time's a myth since I was six. You have been. Well, I'm not on time for it. Yeah, that's why I'm still trying to dunk it for for a goddamn thing. (laughs) You've been late to everything since you were six? Listen, I'm only late. (laughs) I'm only late if you don't observe the seven-minute buffer. And I think a seven-minute buffer is fair for everyone. You think you've you've never been smooth? You seven think you've ever been within late. seven minutes or something? Of course, what of the course, fuck? Of course, I've been more right. than this seven minutes late. This is why this time's a myth because he thinks being thirty minutes late is being seven minutes late. I, I didn't <laughs> say. <laughs> I didn't say I was <laughs> never. I didn't say I was never late. Oh, on average, you're seven minutes late. <laughs> on average, I'm 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 within the seven no, minute that buffer. Would mean, that would require you to be early sometimes, and that just I don't fucking know about that. Yeah, man. please play the music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's play some fucking cards. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you guys are paying attention to the Solve for Why uh, TV website, we have a new On Second Thought out this week. Um, this is going to be very funky with the music playing in the background, but we uh, we have a tease for that episode that came out this past Monday. Jace Chris Big Blind Defense and the subsequent strategies post-flop can be one of the less intuitive aspects of No Limit Hold'em. We're in a compromised position with a wide range of hands that has offered an extraordinary price to continue. We can't just simply defend according to the price, however. What matters more is the width of the range that we're facing the raise from to begin with. 
Michael finds himself facing an early open and has a cusp hand that in theory should probably just fold pre. This decision may prove costly as we move forward to dicey flop and turn strategy decisions from both players. So that particular episode is a look at big blind defense and developing check race strategies, some things that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, we do a full season of On Second Thought after every season of P Poker Out Loud. I personally think that it's the, the best product that we offer. It combines the entertainment value and the visuals of Poker Out Loud with the solver work that uh, we get by using Ruse. So by all means, head over to solveforwide.io. Check that out if you haven't already. That's going to do it for us today. We're going to head out. Uh, probably be back tomorrow, maybe early depending on how the, the team works out, if Conrad bags or not. It might just be me and Landon at the normal time. But stay tuned to Solve for Why. I got some work to do. And only friends Socials. Uh, we'll update that time as soon as possible. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, leave a comment below. We'll see you all tomorrow. Peace. Later.